Hi guys, Alian Oliver here. We are back with Lead Her Shift. And as usual, we are speaking to dynamic women from around the globe. And we're touching base with actually one of, hmm, I'll let her introduce herself actually. And I really want to touch today on leadership in the workplace, in the global space, in the corporate space, but also what does future-proofing leadership look like? And I'm going to jump right into our next guest. I'm going to let her introduce herself, and then we'll go straight into the show. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Alien. Uh, my name is Alicia Maraj. Uh, my passion is really around innovation. And to that end, uh, we started a podcast called The Next Normal Podcast, geared at helping um, the average person to get a sense of what's coming in the world by interviewing senior and executive leadership um, at the top of their sectors. Nice. Yeah. So I saw that you are or were a TEDx speaker. Now, talk me through what that looks like. Talk me through how does one even become a TEDx speaker? It's, it's almost like this exclusive community in a sense. Talk to me about that experience and what that was like for you. Sure. Um, so I I did my TEDx speech while I was at Delana School of Economics. And what happens is that every year they have this big LSC TEDx conversation, this conference, um, and they choose one student leader to present at the conference. And then they, they of course, curate um, brilliant minds from, from across the UK and from across the world. Um, and to get to be that student leader, you they did this um, student competition where everybody kind of gave their TEDx talk and then it was voted on and then they went through this this process. But I will say that it was um, it was a bit daunting. Like like you, I was like, this is a very exclusive thing. Am I like am I a good person? Do I have anything to say? Is my messaging even worth listening to? Um, and so I I crafted a, a message really around human rights because that was my field of study around um, how the human rights experiment and project is, uh, despite the fact that we see it as entrenched in, our, in all our democratic institutions and in our political culture, um, it's a fairly new project in the way that we understand it. And so it's, it's still fragile and it requires each of us waking up um, to dream it up and to, to get it um, to be what we, we need it to be. So it works for everyone. I'm always so intrigued by the kind of topics that come out of TEDx. Um, the the lens through which speakers speak to the issues and the creativity that comes from it what was preparing for something like that lo- looks like like what does that look like um so uh, for me i it was i had done toastmasters um which is a great like leadership development uh, tool or methodology, I, I definitely recommend that everyone does something to, to craft how they present themselves in front of people. So for me, I had the opportunity to, to jump on, it was in Zoom at that time, it was Skype calls, yeah. um, and just get all my Toastmaster friends and DTMs to, to kind of present in front of them and ask them what they thought. And like, for me, it's not just about, it's about the, the impact, like what impact whenever you're doing a messaging is what's the impact that you want to leave what do you want that person in the audience to think and to know and to do and in crafting any any public communication if you use that as your guiding post um then you're you're more likely to be successful and so in terms of preparation it's really about um ensuring that 
the the audience would have left with something that they they could go off to do and really ensuring that there was nothing in my in my mannerism or in how I presented that was anything less than powerful and to do that I pulled in people that were were proficient and competent and brilliant at, at doing just that. I remember meeting you so many years ago and I don't even want no, to say how say long. I'm not even gonna it. say how long ago because that's gonna show up a lot of things. But I remember meeting you in the UN space and us having different conversations and you even sharing that you lived in Japan. And it was so mind-boggling to me because you you were speaking a different language and all these different things was happening. I was like, this is so amazing to see this young individual doing all these amazing things and having these kind of experiences. How do you feel like you've led yourself through it all? Like going through all these all these experiences that you've had, having a myriad of, I think you are dynamic and having a great career. What is it that drove you or led you through this? Like, how did you lead yourself? Um, so that's a great question. I can't take full credit for leading myself. I, um, I, had, I had an amazing community, but more importantly, I have a, um, a family and my mother in particular. Um, so in the way of background, I, um, I grew up in Jamaica. I grew up in, in Spanish town, which isn't, isn't it's not, certainly not Negril or, or Montego Bay, or it's, it's this, um, this community that's um, unfortunately been associated with a lot of violence. Mm. Um, and I, I even remember like in 1998, we had the gas riots uh, with oil riots. And um, the type of community that I lived in was one where they, they, there was things burning in the streets. There was actually a car that was set on fire. And so that, wow. that's the kind of community um, yeah. where violence was not, was, it was not uncommon. And so for, for the only way I could have made it out of that community and kind of had um, not fallen ill to, not fallen prey to some of the, the influences around was the fact that I had a really, really strong mother who, who would take the time out to, to read extra work and give me extra homework and make sure that I was first in the class because when you're in a class of 50 persons, you either have to be really bright or you have to be really bad to get attention. And so mm. um, she just made sure that I didn't go the route of being very bad um, and making sure that I was always like studying and trying really hard. Um, so having that as a, an, an important influence in your life in the formative years meant that no matter what you did, you always had that. Like if it's about always, um, it's about always beating the odds. And so, if if it was going to Japan um, on the jet program, where fifteen persons in Jamaica are selected each year out of how many, um, like a hundred and odd that apply, it was you know, my mom believes in me, I can do this, and and then using that to propel me through. Yeah. Would you say your mom was like the first leader? you were influenced by or is there another stage in your life that you feel that leadership you know was evident to you um i think i think definitely my mom was definitely among the first 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 leadership that i saw um not just the not that the so I think it's interesting. It's just recently that I started to understand leadership in a much mm. more dynamic way than I used to. So when I was younger, we understood leadership to be um, very strong, very firm, very hard, you know, right. almost, almost always masculine and male. Mm. Um, and I think now we're starting to understand the, the benefits of 
like servant leadership and, and leading um, to empower your team and, and like this kind of principled more like nurturing type of leadership so that your team becomes leaders themselves. So with that newfound understanding of leadership, I would say my mom was definitely the first um, that I saw. And then I've been fortunate to, to have strong leaders in my life or to be able to look to, even if it's on TV, to the right influences. Um, because if you have the right lens on, you can, you can find strong leadership anywhere. Like it's really about what, how do you see the world? Do you see the world as everything is going wrong or do you see, or do you look for those sparks of, of brilliance and, and leadership and joy and, and all the things that are positive? In your, in, in the many experiences you had, whether in the corporate space or in whatever space that you've had a career, what would you say is the one thing you admired about the leaders you worked with? Um, so I think, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit of what we just started to speak about. It's about, um, understand it's one, giving your, your, your team stretch goals so that they, they're stretched to their potential. Um, it's, it's too about like very strong accountability expected and, and results oriented, like ensuring that there is no excuse for not getting to where you need to get. Um, and then it's the last piece around that servant leadership piece where your aim is to bring out the best in your team and to get them to be as true to who they are and be as authentic in the space as possible and become leaders in and of themselves. So your your aim isn't to, to kind of have this very strong centralized where you tell everybody what to do and it, it trickles down it's really about how do you empower those around you so that you can trust them to make the decisions and so that they can continue to to progress in their life and in their careers mm. i heard you say trust them to make the decisions and i think a lot of leaders don't necessarily let go of that level of control to allow for trust to exist mm-hmm. and then you to add to that, you also said, you know, that we kind of grew up with this understanding of, of leadership being more of a masculine kind of, of, of role or thing. Mm-hmm. So with that said, like, how has your experience been seeing women in the workplace? And has there, is there a difference, do you think, from what you've seen in the types of leadership from woman to man? that's that's a tough one that's a that's a tough one um, and mm-hmm. it's it's tough on for a number of reasons is that yes we like to we like to think of um you know women be more nurturing and men be more domineering yeah or, or dominating um but i think one of the things that has come with the kind of um the the expansion of feminism and the expansion of like options is that you don't have to stick to these very um, narrow constructs of what like a female leadership looks like or what a male leadership looks like. And so increasingly I've seen more fluidity and, and you've seen, um, you know, female leaders that are, that are a little more dominating in their nature and, and male leaders that are a lot more nurturing. And so I'm, I, I'm happy to, to, to see that even though there's a lot to research and indicate that like some of the more traditional constructs that we believe in still exist, I start, there's definitely more fluidity. Um, I think it is dependent on personality. I think it is dependent on culture. I've had the opportunity Mm. to live and work in different cultures and and you do see, you do see the differences there as well. Um, I think we need to get to the point where we are teaching 
everyone um, the kind of leadership skills where it's it's not just about command and control. Yes, it's important to be able to to be decisive in, in certain situations. Yes, it's important um, to be able to to set some hard um, lines in the sand and say, okay, this is these are the parameters we cannot we cannot pass it, especially when we live in a world that's constantly um, evolving and changing and being able to, to adapt. But I think we also um, just need to understand leadership more holistically. And maybe that's part of like MBA programs and maybe that's part of how we teach in schools. But I think um, we, I, I want us to get to the path, um, a part where it's not associated with either male or, or female in terms of like strong, powerful, empathetic, principled, authentic leadership. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you made such a powerful point there where you said, you know, sometimes the shift in leadership comes from culture, but most importantly, it's in a lot of ways based on personality and how you are as a, as a character, like what your character is can easily swiftly determine how you lead or what kind of leader you are. Um, so tracking back a little bit, Tell me uh, two fun facts about you. The listeners want to know, of all these things we've learned, we're learning so far, what are two fun facts, or at least one fun fact, that the listeners would be intrigued to hear about? Um, thanks for putting me on the spot there. Uh, <laughs> um, so I once built a, a toilet in the snow. Uh, oh. So that was one. Um, and then the second one is I, um, I was part of a, a trip called the Peace Boat where we went around the world and I had the opportunity to go to Rapa Nui, also known as Easter Island. Um, oh. And that was, that was amazing. That felt, that felt like home. It had all the elements that I would want if I, if, that, if those, I was that Okay, that. so that's interesting. And from those two fun facts, mm -hmm. what is one way in which you led yourself or a team? Um, so I think from the first fun fact, because if, once you learn how to build a toilet in the snow, you are amazing. You can lead <laughs> I anything. think you are, for real. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. But I think, so the building a toilet in the snow was a part of an expedition called the Commonwealth Women's Antarctic Expedition. And basically what it was was, this lady um, woke up one day and was like, wouldn't it be cool to take, you know, eight women or 16 women from these tropical countries, some of whom had never seen snow, and have them ski across Antarctica? And uh, so she was like, how do I make this happen? And so she pulled 16 women, two from each of these eight countries, Jamaica was selected, brought us to Norway on an Antarctic expedition. And for me, a lot of the leadership that we talk about is always um, very conceptual like it's it's in a book this made it very real because we were we were skiing for several days almost a week across um sorry about that uh, across across a plane where it got really windy got really snowy we had to make sure that we put on our our um, protective tent we had to make sure that um, when it was your time to have the GPS that you weren't leading your team astray because if you led them astray it meant that they had to cover that ground back. Gr yeah. Day. And yeah. so it's your responsibility to make sure mm. that you're not, um, that you're not, um, you're not giving others extra work, that you're doing the right thing, that you're leading them right. And for me that happened when I was, um, 
I had this experience when I was 20 and I think that was very formative for me because it took something that you would probably learn from a class where people tell you something very abstractly and put it in real life. Like what are the consequences of your action? What, how do you ensure you, you have results? How do you ensure you don't let your team down? Um, how do you win against the other team? Like these are all things that were like very actionable and real with consequences. So, yeah. So do you think from even that experience and all the others that you've had, since then that is necessary to have practical components of leadership because I know oftentimes we when we think of helping persons to understand leadership we often think of workshops courses you know different certifications do you think it's important even from a young stage um, because I think leadership is going to shift over time especially if generationally we don't start with youth so do you think it's necessary to have that practical component and why um i do i do and i think i think part of it is understanding that they're different learning styles right so when you um i know when i was covering my change management um course one of the things is that you if you understand that people learn differently and can right. grasp concepts differently so some people need are more pragmatic and they need to have this in action for them to to actually um, for it to stick with them others can you know kind of abstractly think about it others can reflect on it um, so i think we have to one cater to the different learning styles two i think um i think a big part of of leadership is around um if we're talking it's like is where you are if you're at a summer camp or if you're at um you're at a you are in your student council like these are all different places in real situations where you're you're having that interaction with human beings where you're you're facing against real conflict there's one thing to say you know if i were in that situation this is what i would do it's another thing when you're actually in the help of um of leadership or in that position and you you have to then um you know make sure that you are communicating well or that you're you're not getting angry or you're, you're managing yeah. the emotional regulation, that you're seeing the bigger picture, that you're being strategic. So yes, I do think it's really important. And uh, even in workshops, you can make sure that you have these group simulations or these group yeah. uh, team um, assignments, um, preferably outside. Or, so then, that, then you get to, to replicate it in a real way. Do you think, because I, I, there's so much that's coming out of this conversation, honestly, but there's a bigger part, I think, in terms of the emotional side of leadership. Because oftentimes, you know, persons have different personalities. We grow up in different cultures. We have different experiences. We learn differently in many ways, but we don't tap in necessarily to understanding the, the intelligence of our emotion and how that plays a big role in how we influence others how important do you think that is and are more so what is a is it about emotional intelligence that is necessary for leadership um i think um i think it's just like if you're dealing with if you're dealing with people then it's if which is a big part of any leadership it's going to be important for you to be emotionally intelligent i think if we look to um if we look to what the future might look like, reading a lot of the West reports, reading a lot of um, the, the thought leadership pieces that are coming out of the big four, we're seeing more and more, it's going to be those soft skills right. um, that are going to be particularly valuable. 
um, right. because some of the other pieces can be automated by machine. Um, right. <laughs> it, it, and so it's really going to be how do you bring out the best in people? How do you ensure that you can um, you can see when someone is a little bit down on their luck, or you can you can have those relationships because we bring our full selves to work. We bring our full selves to any environment. Um, and and I, I guess the best case in point would be we've seen a lot of the protests that came out of George yeah. Floyd's murder. And so if you as a leader didn't have the emotional intelligence to realize that there is a community that is hurting, that is um, feeling victimized and who cannot bring their full, they cannot come to work as the full professional that you need them to be and do the results because they're, they're, they're hurting um, from, from the, the injustices that they're seeing um, meted out to, to persons like them, then you're not going to get the results and you're not yeah. going to come across as a very empathetic leader. So um, yeah. to your question of how important is EI, I think, it, I think it's critical. I think you can't have one without the other. And, and I think you made a, a very valid point because that emotional component, if not considered as part of leadership, you are not going to get on the other end, which is what most leaders want is productivity and production. And if you don't tap into that with your team, you're more likely not going to be productive. It's going to affect your bottom line anyway, because your team isn't feeling safe. Your team isn't feeling, you know, like there's empathy in your room. Your team isn't feeling like they're, they're human, just, yeah. you know, just plain old human. Right. Yeah. And that their humanity is recognized and respected by the members on their team. I, I completely, I completely agree. And I think, I think part of it as well is you mentioned earlier in, um, kind of the generation divided. You mentioned um, like what, how leadership will shift with the generations. And I think um, we're seeing with millennials and we're seeing with Gen um, Zs that they ex the, the workplace that they expect to go to is one that's a lot more caring. It's one that has more sense of their um, of ESG, that recognizes that it has a role to play in society, that recognizes it has a role to play with its employees. And so, if you're thinking about future proofing your organization just from a just from a standpoint of being relevant for the next generation, um, mm. if, if you don't have those components, then then um, you're going to go the way of the dodo. And so again, EI um, really showing a direct link to what your bottom line is and what your feasibility as a business would look like. I think there are some companies who don't recognize that at the end of the day your team are human and people and oftentimes people buy from people so if your team isn't good they're not going to present what is necessary for customers to feel like okay well this you know so going back to your career and and your different the different layers to you <laughs> um i see that you are an agile project management consultant innovation consultant what does that mean like in the grand scheme of things what does that mean sure so um so most of my career has been in the not-for-profit space and a technology and more recently in the technology space as i've i've moved to canada um and so it's it's project management that we generally associate with project management you have a you have a, a task to complete you ensure that you do it within the scope the budget the timeline um, but then we're also recognizing that very often we live in a world that's rapidly changing we don't want to invest too much money in um, 
upfront or resources upfront. And so it's then important, not just in project management or product management, but in everything we do, it's really important for us to have an agile framework and have, have an agile approach. Um, and we're seeing that across every sector now. So um, when you think about the fact that people are working from home, um, one of the ways that people have um, leaders have tried to ensure that their team stays on track is by having daily scrums. So every day for 15 minutes, you come into you meet on Zoom or on Skype or any right. other video conferencing tool, and you you answer the these three questions, which can like it doesn't have to be these three, but the questions around what did you do yesterday, what are you looking to do today, and what are the impediments that are standing in your way of getting you to where you need to go. And so we're seeing that that agility in terms of how people work, which is coming from um, agile frame, um, agile project management replicated across different verticals. Um, but in the to your question about in the grand scheme of things, why does it matter? Um, because the world is changing very quickly. We live in a VUCA world. We live in a world that's highly volatile um, and complex. Um, and so because of that, it then is important for, for you to, to get to results, fail fast, see what's working, see what's not working, throw it out the, the window and then um, iterate on it and continue towards uh, what might work. Um, and so that's why um, I think it's important and I think it goes to it continues on that theme of we are going to live in a very different world post-COVID than when we entered. It might just be four months, but that four months so far is going to be revolutionary. And so it's really about more than anything, the mindset that you have as you embrace the future. Um, and it has to be one where you are willing to, to upscale and rescale and mm. future-proof your your um, your knowledge base and be agile and um, recognize that what happened yesterday might not be tomorrow. And so really just start with that mindset. And so that's what I think is what, why it's important in, in today's world. How important is it for just employees, entrepreneurs, just professionals in general to shift their mindset towards this, this change? Because I know many Many persons are struggling with remote work. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. You know, some have been doing remote work for eons. Some have never done remote work at all. And somehow there needs to be a shift in how we think about work mm -hmm. and work not being in four walls, right? So what's your thoughts on how important it is for that? mindset shift to happen and how can persons even shift their mindset like what advice would you give in in that regard um i think that's i think that's a brilliant question i think um i think it starts with telling yourself that you are it starts with the kind of messaging that you tell yourself on a daily basis no matter what like we've recognized that covid has left a lot it, it's not just about remote work it's about like people's entire lives have been upended. we have yeah. to realize that um, millions of people are now unemployed because they've been laid off due to COVID. Millions of people um, are worried about, you know, what the economic situation would look like in a few months, whether we're going to have a recession or a deflation or, or what or a downturn or what that might look like, right? Um, people have lost loved ones. Like 
this has had yeah. real consequences where people have lost people that they love and that are family members and that they're, they're going through their process in this very real trauma. Um, and then there are people who have to now shift from, you know, going in and seeing their, their, their um, colleagues and then if there's an issue talking it through to now um, doing that remotely on top of if you have a child and so you're doing childcare mm. if you have an elderly person you have to take care of if you have a family member that you you have responsibilities around like home like making sure the place is tidy so now you're juggling several balls that you you didn't have to do within a nine-to-five uh, space um so i think recognizing the challenges and allowing people to to process that because if you think about the stages of of, of grief or anything that's happening like you have to go through the same thing happens to change that like you have to go through the different cycles of oh i'm facing denial and, and, and going through right um i think once once we've we've recognized what it is and realized the loss that's associated with like the old normal then it's about the messaging that you tell yourself so um it's waking up in the morning and going one i'm a curious human being i am mm. a curious human being i can do this my best days are ahead of me. Um, I've gotten through countless um, situations in the past. I'll get through the next one. Or the instead of seeing change as yes, it is scary. It is scary. Um, it's it's challenging. It's uncertain. It's a lot of things that would make you want to cower in your room and cry. But it's also exciting. It's also an, an opportunity to reinvent yourself. It's also an opportunity for you to be mm -hmm. to be relevant um, in the future. And I think. For me, how I framed it is what COVID has done is kind of accelerated things that were going to happen anyways. We knew we were going to shift towards remote work. Um, experts were expecting that several years down the line, but we knew that was coming. Um, we knew that we were going to, like, we were getting towards a more digitalized society. And we, we knew all of these things were coming. Now it's here. Um, right. So you can you can use this opportunity to really think about how do I ensure that I start getting the skill set I will need for tomorrow and keep upskilling um, so that whatever situation I'm in today, I'm never in again. How do I make sure that if I've been unemployed that I do what's necessary in terms of upskilling so that I'm never, um, I'm never in a situation where my where I'm competing with people for limited amount of jobs. Instead, there's so many jobs in certain sectors where they don't have enough persons. So cybersecurity is one of the spaces where they, they're looking for um, experts, you know, data analysis, especially like further along the, the data science chain. They are always looking for experts to fill that and generally they don't have it. So how do you look at, in addition to mirroring your passions and what you're good at and, and, and that with what would be needed for tomorrow? And making sure that you find that sweet spot so that you are you're in that frame of mind where i'm ready for the future i'm always yeah. ready for the future yeah and it's so important because i think i think for those who i think what covid taught us honestly is that you can't feel like you're secure ever like and i think oftentimes um different professionals in different careers or employees in different companies I felt comfortable like this is my job this is my title this is what I've been doing I've been you know I've been certified and I have these titles so I'm good I'm always gonna have yeah. this job and you've kind of prepared in your mind or have set the mindset that 
I'm going to retire out of this job. And I think what we've seen both for the younger generation and also for the older generation is that nobody's secure, right? Your job is not something to just glorify as to do upon until retirement. Mm -hmm. So for those who are maybe a little more mature and, you know, feeling like they have just either lost their job or been forced into entrepreneurship, what would you say to them? Like, what what would be your your message in that regard, especially when the the idea is that you should be reskilling, retooling, getting yourself prepared for future yeah future of work, so to speak. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a tough challenging message, and I I don't even think I'm the one to, to, to yeah. send a message out there. But I can say that my my mother, for example, is someone who isn't very tech savvy. Um, it's, she, she's not someone who loves change. Like she, she's, she's an amazing leader. She's, she's, you know, groomed the people around her and, and she's very good at like, um, relationships and, and, and that sort of thing. But she, she doesn't like anything related to, to computers or she doesn't want to do the upskilling and the reskilling. And, and so I'm that annoying daughter on the end of the line every single day going, um, this is the task I have for you today. Can you do this? And then I'll right. come back and make your work. Um, so I, I know what it's like to, I can empathize with her and I can understand, like, it's scary and it's hard. Yeah, it it's is. Um, and it, you're competing against people that would have grown up with a, with a cell phone, literally attaching their hand the moment they were yeah. born. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think just think baby steps. First of all, don't buy into the narrative that you can't teach a dog old tricks. Uh, um, really, really start with the process, the, this, um, this idea that you have to put on a growth mindset and that your brain um, is this brilliant, beautiful tool that, you know, can be, can, you can uh, sever some of the links and find new links and like you can really rewire your brain with the right, with the right like mindset. Um, and I think starting there and take those baby steps. Like, don't don't worry that oh my gosh, I've been laid off. Um, I need to become a coder by a programmer by Friday. Like that's yeah. Really. But yeah. think about one thing that you can do every single day, um, and that will propel you into doing another thing. And that will once you you've been successful at one thing, then you'll find yourself. Your brain will be like a, a muscle that like a very strong guy who's been working out a lot where it's going to be like, yeah, I want to learn something else. I want to try something new. Um, mm. But I think that would be my message, but I don't necessarily think it's my place to be telling, to yeah. telling anyone who's in that situation what to do. So how has COVID directly impacted you and what have you been doing so far since this whole, what seems like a transition for everyone, you know? <laughs> so, so I'm going to, so, one of the reasons why I can say some of the things I've said is because, and say like very authentically, um, is because I've been drinking my own medicine. Um, mm. So on, I joined the millions of persons in Canada and in the US and that's across the world that have, um, that are now unemployed because of COVID. Um, and coming out of that, I've taken the time to of course do some of those certifications that we talked about um, really thinking about what are some of the skills. So like I started doing 
um, very basic programming. As there's a there's a um, there are a couple websites out there, some of which are free, some of which are even pay a nominal price, some are exorbitant. Um, some of the ones that I've been playing around with is I've um, is called she codes and, and code academy and so you can look at what are some of the freer cheaper more, more inexpensive resources um, and then on top of that i started the uh, the podcast that we spoke about and um, i know you and i were talking before the show but for me it came from a place of if you had asked that young girl in spanish town um, when i was nine years old what do i want to be when i grew up i would have had maybe one two answers for you i'd have been like a lawyer and that's all I could have seen. Like that's the only if I looked on TV, um, that's what you know, working hard and being driven and uh, represented. I didn't know that there was a whole world of like being a programmer or being a design thinker or being mm -hmm. these kind of like titles and experiences didn't exist for me. There was always this information gap. Um, and so part of this podcast that we've launched is one, you know, to speak to the leaders in their field and get a sense of what the moving target is so that we can kind of use that as a reference to move towards. But the aim is as we go along to do the kind of programming that can help someone that a nine year old girl in Spanish town or in a, another um, community to, to understand that, yes, she might want to be a lawyer, but increasingly um, lawyers are becoming blockchain lawyers or lawyers are having some of the more administrative pieces of their work um, done by AI. And so, so that by the time she gets and does all the right things, having the wrong, having, not having that information gap, um, you know, help be the, the reason why she doesn't, she isn't top of her field or she isn't cutting it. Um, so that's one of the things that I've been up to outside of um, just upskilling and then using the time to have conversations. Like people are at home now, they have, a little bit more time in their schedule because you're not traveling and so you will not have to have these coffee chats because that's how in my mind i think i'm going to to find my next opportunity and it's so interesting because so your your pod your new podcast is called the next normal podcast mm -hmm. and what i took from that is was the next normal was the next normal in in work was the next normal in business was the next step of where persons need to go or be or who they need to be, but also who they need to be for others. Um, so my question to you is, how do we do that? How do we future proof, you know, what professional work life looks like? How do we future proof leadership? How do we ensure that for the future, that will be coming with more technology and more innovation and all the different shifts that will happen, that leadership is still evolving as we, as we move forward. That's, you've asked so many great questions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to say a couple of things. One is, I don't think anyone knows what the future will bring. Like, if somebody knew what the future would bring, I would be their best friend. Um, <laughs> I would, I, I would too, by the way. <laughs> but I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen. I think what we can do is curate the insights from some very well-placed, well-positioned persons who have a little bit more advantage, um, a little bit more of a view into the future, into the, like, and see the larger forest while we're sometimes raised up on the trees. Yeah. Um, that's the, the first bit. And then the second bit is, um, in some ways, 
as much as things change, some things will remain the same. Like same. We still are, um, we still are these complex human beings that need to have our, our social and emotional and spiritual and physical and all of these other needs met and how we might do it might change with time. Um, but we still will be like, there will still be this, this, this interesting overlay and, and, and intricate um, relationship with all these parts. Um, and so I think emotional intelligence will continue to be important. Um, I think um, West had World Economic Forum had put together what are some of the top skills that will be needed. And a lot of those top skills aren't the technical skill sets, they're the, the creativity and the complex problem solving and the, um, the, the uh, more around relationships. So these are all the pieces that they have consistently. And if you look at the, their, their skills over the years, generally these skills have, you know, they fluctuated a bit, but you can still see a trend in these skills. Um, so I think, I think finding ways to, to nurture those skill sets, and it doesn't have to be at, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be at a job. So it could be at, um, at home, like you're, if you have an extra time, do some painting because then you're, you're spurring that creative juice in your brain so you can be creative in other ways because you have a skill set that's needed for the future, right? So thinking about um, how can you get to, to build those skills even if it's not in a nine-to-five situation, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, for it. sure. I mean, the world is so uncertain at, at this moment and I think it's really affecting many people and how they think their mental well-being their emotional state how they feel about you know their future and was was next for them personally and even professionally um what do you think is the next disruptive thing that may come you know and i and we can we could dream a big dream about all the different things that may happen but what do you think is the next disruptive thing that could happen um, well, I wouldn't have known about COVID four months ago, so I am afraid mm. to hazard a guess on anything. But I think we, I think we understand that data is going to be increasingly relevant. I think um, consumer behavior is such that we expect things. So if you think about the fact that you watch Netflix and you expect um, you expect Netflix to find the right show for you to watch next, like you, yeah. that's one of your expectations. You, ex- you have all of these expectations of all these companies around you and it's because you expect a more personalized, customized experience yeah, and not yeah. big data. So I think we, we're going to continue to see the, the growth of big data. I think we're going to continue to see AI have a more of a presence in our lives. Um, I think we understand that um, blockchain is, up on the, is on the rise and that could have lots of implications in terms of um, in, in a number of ways, I remember reading this um, this uh, article where they talked about what could the future of education look like, and they mm. they mentioned that you know we could get to the point where instead of having and again this is just this this isn't what the future is going to hold. It's just one of the things that they discussed um, where it could get to the point where instead of having one school that you go to um, that you do all of your degree on, uh, you could instead uh, just mirroring some of the experiences where you could um, go to Japan for for this and it has a certain curricula like credit to it and then all of these are experiences are pulled together to one degree so there's a lot of 
That would be dope, by the way. <laughs> it would be. That would be so dope. Mm-hmm. But so there are lots of people who are speculating what the future looks like. We don't quite know, but I think the most important thing um, really is just being being ready for it. Like whatever comes, like having the resilience and the the emotional fortitude to say whatever happens, I've got this. Like we've as a human, like like as humanity, we've been through some really really difficult things in the past we've been through world wars we've been through um countless um you know things around the world that like would cripple um that you would expect to just cripple but we have as a um, as a community incredible resilience and we'll, we'll get through it yeah i mean i think one of the things that the pandemic has definitely taught us is that we we require that level of connectivity um, and that level of connectivity has shown up even more now that it's a pandemic in and of itself. There have been many epidemics. Um, there have been many crises that have happened. But because it's now been spread globally, I think the world is now more zoomed in and fully aware of how we need each other, um, mm-hmm. whether as regions, as countries, or even as people. Um, but generally, would you say, I know you have... I've, I've been hearing you say, you know, I've been taking courses, I've been doing some research and all these different things. Why do you think it's so important to future-proof yourself? Like, what, 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 why do you think, I mean, I know all these changes are going to happen, but maybe they may not happen in our generation. Like, mm-hmm. why do you think it's, it's necessary to do that? Um, I, I think there will be changes in our generation. I think the, the speed of change is, is, rapidly increasing and I am so I, I think that's part of it um I think as well it's I don't know if being irrelevant and obsolete or um or disrupted scares scares you but and I'm sure it does it scares me like it scares me to think that you would have done all the things that you would have started off where you started off you'd have done all the hard work you'd have gone to lse and on a british evening scholarship and done all of this hard work yeah. to get to where you are right now to be irrelevant and obsolete it would blow my mind yeah like, what was the point of all of that if you aren't if you your future isn't isn't aligned to what your potential is and so yeah. that's yeah. why i think it's critical for us to future proof it has to be all the hard work that i've done so far has to mean something um, and it has to put me in a position of leadership where I can effect change for others. And so for me, that's one of the things that um, that um, makes it that I, I, I can't sit and, and um, just be disruptive. That, that would be, it would be a disservice to my mother. It would be a disservice to all the people who believe in me. It would be a disservice to, um, to potential that I've been given. And so, yeah. So whether this happens or not, and I'm sure it will, um, I think I have a responsibility to those around me and to myself to make sure that I'm ready for it if it happens. I think, and and even in saying that, that, well, at least from my perspective, is leadership in and of itself. Because in, in a lot of ways, you're not only considering your self-development, you're not only considering 
yourself being obsolete or potentially obsolete in the workforce, but you're considering how it's going to impact those around you, from those who've supported you to those who've been there and encouraged you. And that in and of itself epitomizes leadership. Um, but do you Let's see yourself as a leader? Like sure. <laughs> I mean, it does. Um, do you see yourself as a leader, though? Um, I do. I do. And I think it became a lot more real for me um, uh, recently. So um, I head up a, um, I'm a vice curator and I'm part of a three-person curatorship team for the, the Global Shapers Toronto Hub. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, that was a very important place where I learned some of the pieces that I talked about where you you leadership isn't just this very you know stone face nobody knows what's happening um, person but you you have to be vulnerable you have to be honest you have to be authentic you have to be empathetic like all of these words that have become quite cliche in like all the workshops that we go to um but i think i realized um that leadership piece um in a more real way um when we had when we had a protest happening and we as an organization as well also have to decide how do we how do we navigate this space? How do we the, the world has opened up in terms of having more conversations about equality and equity, not just not just based on race, but based on all the other ways that people have been oppressed, whether that's um, gender or um, their sexual orientation or, or um, there are many ways that we, we continue to have these systems of power that results in oppression for some and privilege for others. Um, and as we were navigating through this space, I could I could tell that there were persons who wanted to have this conversation, who wanted to have a really deep, meaningful conversation about how do we how do I um, how do we dissect privilege and how do we use their privilege for uh, to to further racial equality and and all the other. And we also understood that there were there were persons who needed to be um, supported along this this process, um, and there were persons who, of course, felt um, who, of course, you know, were were hurting from from seeing all of this. And so it was it was in that moment where you recognize that it was your responsibility to create that safe space for you to like quite honestly um, address the issue of like. Um, open center, like in front of you, you can't um, you can't brush it on the rug, and to have that space for that real conversation to happen, so that you can get to action. So, what do I do so that we can reflect on this, so we can interrogate this, so that we can move forward, so that we can then use our our platform for meaningful change? Um, and I think it's in that moment, using um, using my platform for leadership, that I, I realized that this had become less textbook, and you know. Yes, you've gotten an award for leadership in the past, but in a real meaningful way um, that you've, you've let people do. Um, yeah. I think of all the things that, even based on this conversation, of all the things that I keep, I think I'm reminding myself um, of, and I hope the listeners um, understand this point, is that regardless of what position you're in, regardless of what what level of experience you've had, regardless of how much you've learned until this point, you always have to keep learning. And um Mary, right? Yeah. It, it never it never stops. It should <sighs> never stop. Um 
But I think COVID is a even more of a reminder of that, of mm-hmm. how the future is going to change, how how life is going to change rather in the future, um, and how much you know is going to depend on whether you are part of that future significantly or not. Mm-hmm. Um, was your advice now? as we start to think about the young girl who's coming up, or we start to think about the person who's been in their career for years and shifting to entrepreneurship, or even someone who is now trying to move up the value chain in their leadership, what would be that one one bit of advice at least that you can leave with them um, for their next step. So not not general advice, but something very tangible they can do from today. Um, so that's, that's a great question. I, I, I'm not going to give advice from my own mouth. I've, I've been fortunate, and maybe this is the advice. Um, I've been fortunate to have um, to have elders in my community, two elders who um, who helped me to set things in the longer arc of time and the longer arc of history. Um, so instead of going, oh my God, I'm at home, like my life is over, like um, you'll never find a job in this economy, woo-woo, then they, they, they have 140 years between the both of them combined experience. And so... Um, with that, they can go, you know, this situation happened in this year, and this situation happened this year, this situation, like, things will work out. And they can kind of give you that, that zooming out, like, here's, here's the longer arc of history. Um, so with that in mind, that's been, that's been very helpful. So to that young girl, like, who's coming up, or that person who's changing career, or that person who is, um, who is trying to, to get farther as they, they progress up the, the chain, I think it's really important for you to seek out the elders and the mentors mm. and the sponsors um, who will give you the perspective so that you, you don't you don't go off course. But even as you're on the right course and you're starting to feel stuck or lost or a failure or an imposter, all the negative things can kind of um, can kind of zoom out the lens for you and kind of show you the bigger picture so that you don't become um, you don't feel disempowered. Um, so my advice would be um, seek out, go seek those persons out um, and continue to surround yourself with people that you want to, to you want to be like and that you want to, um, you want to aspire to because we, we end up becoming the, the average of the people we spend the most time with. So that would be my advice. That's amazing advice, honestly, because it, it sets the tone for understanding that you're never too young or too old to learn and or be mentored and or be influenced by and or influence. And I think mm-hmm. that that sums up the the concept of not only leading yourself, but being led by others. Thank you so much. You have been you absolutely amazing. You um, <laughs> your insights are honestly very... Um, very vast and i appreciate i appreciate the way in which you look at things so thank you so much for being a part of the show and being a part of the lead her shift family thank you (laughs)
You are welcome. So with that said, we are now signing out and we'll be up next very soon with another Lead Her Shift episode. Until next time, guys.